Good morning. This is John Murtha coming to you from 89.1 FM Radio, Lorraine, Ohio. Very happy you tuned in on this beautiful autumn morning. I'm actually here at the station with the owner and manager, Mark Ballard. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, John. I've missed you. Yeah, we've been out in the model for a little bit. <laughs> been out in the city of brotherly love for a while, Philadelphia. And my good friend and assistant, David Aboud. Hey, good John. Morning, good to be here. And we have two very special guests today, um, Dr. Mark McDonough. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about him. He's going to tell his life story. He just wrote a book, uh, Forged Through Fire. It's actually uh, uh, the reconstructive surgeon story of survival, faith, and healing. We're going to talk about that this morning. I'm very happy he's up from Florida and able to spend some, some time with us here in the radio station. And also we have his nephew, Jack McDonough. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, guys. Yeah. Good, morning. Hey, good morning, Mark. Good Dr. morning, Mark John. McDonough. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. So we're going to call you Doctor, or we might call you Mark. <laughs> but we call won't me. call you Mr. McDonough. Mark That's is great. Okay. Informal. So give yeah. us a little snapshot, David, if you will, sure. about the, uh, Dr. McDonough. Right. So uh, Dr. McDonough is a physical therapist, physician, and plastic surgeon, and reconstructive surgeon a graduate of Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine and trained in general burn and plastic surgery at the University of South Florida and Vanderbilt University. He has served as an adjunct professor in physical therapy and worked with trauma patients at hospitals in Ohio, Tennessee, and Florida, where he later founded his own practice. Married for more than 25 years, he and his wife, Joan, have three grown sons, Connor, Riley, and Toby, who form the popular band Before You Exit. Dr. McDonough lives in Central Florida. Good to have you here. Thank you, thank you David. Just by way of a little background information, and as we get into the story of uh, Dr. McDonough, some you might want to call in. You might have some questions uh, for Mark, or you may want some more insight on his testimony and his story. The number here is 440 three nine nine three zero four four once again that's four four zero three nine nine three zero four four or you can live stream us if you're having trouble listening uh, static or whatever a week week uh, signal that would be www.wnzn.org that's wnzn.org and just uh, by way of background information how I got to know Mark was he actually went on the trip to Israel with us last year. Uh, I'm very happy he did. I, I got to know his brother, Dan, very well, Dan McDonough, uh, who, who lives yeah. in Cleveland. And we had 42 people. Uh, it was an amazing <laughs> trip. Our, um, our guide was a uh, Jewish fellow named Jacob. He's like right out of central casting for Fiddler on the Roof. He's like an expert in history and archaeology. That's a great characterization. And our bus driver is Palestinian Muslim. And we had 42 of us believers, Christians, so I call it my uh, all of us on the bus. That was my Middle East peace plan. Uh, we all got along like really well, so this was really cool. But I'm very happy that Mark came. He's a doctor. And uh, I always say in these trips, it's good to have a doctor. You know, I don't need a lawyer, but I do need a doctor. Because a couple of people had sickness, you know, like food or something like this. Yeah, it was really good. So that's how I got to know Mark and, and, and be familiar with his story more. But I want to turn it over uh, to Dr. McDonough because this is one of the most incredible testimonies I've heard mm -hmm. of both physical and emotional pain and how somebody could come through it, not just come through it, but come through it victoriously yeah. and become what's known oftentimes as the wounded healer uh, and how his mm -hmm. life was transformed by some of the most difficult and painful 
uh, circumstances and episodes that one's life might have. So, Mark, I'm going to turn it over to you, and you can begin at the beginning, wherever you would like to, and to tell your story. And then along the way, David or Mark or I are going to ask questions Mm -hmm. and maybe that you would elucidate on some of these things you're going to touch upon. Well, um, born in 1959, October 25th, actually, just hit 60, the big one here, Mm. a few days ago. But uh, Congratulations. Thank you. I'd always been a believer. My parents, I was blessed with lovely parents, a mother and father who taught us about Jesus and about the Lord and heaven. Uh, But my father had been raised Catholic and my mom converted to Catholicism. But we learned a lot of things that confused me in Catholicism. So um, as I was growing up, I was certain there was a God. My mom had been very sick as a child and had told me a story that sort of shaped the early foundation of my faith. But um, God to me was sort of like a super parent, Um, this ideal human, unhuman, super being, omnipresent, omnipotent, powerful, loving being that was guiding and watching me and looking over my life. And she felt she had always had a, spiritual connection that that guided her life and I I trusted in that as a as a very young child but as I as we went through life and attending services in church and so forth I had a lot of different confusions and and uh, questions but at the age of 16 our home was uh, under siege by flames that started in a uh, an overloaded capacitor of a television set in the middle of the night and our house was engulfed in flames. And after being critically burned, I had a near-death experience that solidified my faith, that convinced me with 100% certainty there is a God, he does love me, he does forgive me. And I felt the presence of my mother and brother, and I'll talk more about that in detail, but that experience at age 16 took me from 90% certain to 100% mm. certain. And interestingly, now, in the aftermath of that experience, I still feel challenged at times. And Jack asked me just yesterday, don't you ever doubt I feel so guilty when I don't think he's there or he's not paying attention? And I said, it's natural. In our mm-hmm. fallen world, as hopeless, helpless sinners, we do tend to doubt God. And he wants us, though, to consult him on every decision of our lives. But I'm forever saying, God, forgive me. I forgot to ask for help. And I'm fearful that you're not going to be there through the end of this project, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But in retrospect, I always know he is. And I learned that he is. Uh, just to set the put it in context, Mark, uh, you, lived in, you, you were born and raised in Fairview, Ohio? Yes. That's true. Uh, right near the high school, actually. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how many... Who was all in your family? Your mom and your dad? and there were My mom and dad, and there were five boys. I was the oldest of five boys. My next youngest brother was Tim, and he was about a year behind me, just a little bit more than a year. And following Tim was Dan, whom we spoke of. And then four years, six years later, or four years later was Toby and Packy. So they, those two of the five followed in their own little cluster, right. and they were kind of like buddies. And Tim, Dan, and I played together Sometimes, but we each had our own clique of friends, right. too. So can you take us back to the night of the fire? Because this, I remember, I, I, I even remember this somehow, because it was it was a big story, big yeah. news. And, and can you take us back to that night as much well, as you can and August move forward? August 3rd, 76, I was 16, and 
a student at Fairview High School and working four or five nights a week dishwashing and bussing tables at the Brown Derby restaurant in Rocky River, Ohio. Hmm. And this was a Monday night and it happened to be off work that day. So I'd been out with some friends, visiting some other friends and home around midnight and had a glass of milk as I routinely did before I went to bed and sat in the dark. And my dad had gone out of town that day and he was in San Francisco. In fact, there were six smoke detectors in a line on our kitchen counter that he and I were going to install the night before he left on the oh business trip. Wow. And he realized we didn't have the right batteries. And this, this, in the 70s, I had never even seen the kind of batteries he's talking about. Of course, it was those little Neko wafer-looking mm-hmm. batteries, that, mm-hmm. like a lithium battery, and um, we didn't have those. So he said, we'll get to that as soon as I get back. Now, take care of your mom, chum, and be good to your brothers, and look out for everybody, and see you in a few days. And I went to bed that night after getting home, had that glass of milk, and woke up shortly thereafter, probably within an hour or so, and woke up because of intense heat. And it just was unbelievably hot. And then I could hear some noises, some crackling, and right away I recognized this is fire, this is bad, and the light that I could see was sort of flashing. Mm. So it was the shadows and castings of the tendrils from the flames. And uh, I got out of bed and started screaming right away, we're on fire, the house is on fire! And Tim was very quick to start getting his screen out of his window, and Dan had woken Packy, and they were rustling about in their room, and I could see them moving toward the windows as I came out of the hall and the flames were coming up the stairwell, which was acting like a chimney, and the tendrils were just darting and dashing from one side to the other, and the lights were flashing, and the noise was so loud, like a tornado, just this and the crackling of wood, and the unbearable heat. I felt like I was in the middle of an oven with the door locked and couldn't get out and couldn't breathe. And the first thing I thought was get air, and I ran through out my door to the hallway, across the hall to a window in the bathroom and punched the glass out and sucked in some air. But by punching the glass out, I knocked the window off the tracks and the smartest thing to do there would have been to go out that window, which would have given me access to my mother's room from a sun deck. But I turned and tried to go out the door of the bathroom and fell partway down the stairs. Well, the next smartest thing to do would be to go out the front door and I, as I headed to it and grabbed the handle, I pulled and it didn't open. And I pulled with two hands and couldn't get it open. And then I let go and ran toward the back of the house with my head covered and my hands in front of my face and could feel the heat and the wind just barreling around the corner of the hallway like a, like a, like a big, giant wave for surfing, just in this loud swooshing and crackling. And next thing I'm, I know, I'm headed toward the garage door, and that was the last thing I remembered. And Fireman found me there blocking access to the kitchen from the garage and he had a premonition that that was a human body blocking his entry and he persisted and with perseverance pushed his way in and found me having just blacked out and next thing I knew I was waking up in an ambulance and realizing this has been a terrible terrible injury because everything in my body felt like it was literally on fire and the burning and the thirst, the unbearable thirst, the dryness in my voice, and I couldn't even get words out because my voice was so restricted by the dryness and the, the stickiness of my vocal cords. And my eyes were burning and tearing, and I couldn't really see. And I could just see this haze of a body next to me 
pushing and rolling me and each push and movement hurt so badly. And then the ambulance would hit a bump and it would rattle mm. and it felt like I was in the middle of an earthquake. And all I could think about was my mother and Toby. Did they get out? Did I get in there? I couldn't get in there. Yeah. I couldn't get in the room. Oh, my. if they didn't get out. Oh my God, what the heck? The whole house, it's, it's, it's on fire. I'm just going through all these thoughts in my mind. A million thoughts a, a minute. And the fear just building and the adrenaline. And, the, and we pull in to Fairview Hospital and I hear on the radio, if he's that badly burned, go straight to Metro. And somebody said, but we need more saline. And so they got these big bags of saline and they were pouring them all over my body trying to stop the burning and so that the body could resorb some of that fluid. They were also worried about my breathing. I could uh. hear that. And they kept shoving this oxygen mask in my face. And I kept wanting to ask, where's my mom? Where's my brother? What happened? What was it? And next thing, we're in the ambulance, or in the trauma bay of the Metro Hospital. And I'm realizing this is very bad. And people are surrounding me. And it's just all I can hear is shuffling of feet and rustling of gowns and hands and grabbing and pulling. And somebody's trying to stick something in my throat. Somebody's trying to stick something in my penis and my arms both stretched out to the side. They're shoving needles into every orifice they can find. And I'm just screaming. And then somebody takes a pair of scissors and cuts off the nylon bathing suit I'm wearing because I'd been at swim practice that day. Oh, and I start screaming, stop, tell me what's happening, what's happening? And no one would answer questions. Uh, and I just started panic again. And then I was sort of in and out, but it seemed like days, but it was really only eight or hours or so until I was quiet and conscious and aware of nothing except this incredible burning sensation throughout my body, but I'm lying perfectly still and I can see through the haze of my eyes a figure kind of moving around the room and that happened to be the nurse who was taking care of me mm -hmm. at the moment, but I was now in the burn unit and undergoing full court press to keep me alive. This is at Metro? Yes, sir. Yeah. So now, when did you finally kind of surmise what had happened, what had happened to your mom, what happened to your brother. Now your father has returned. I read the book. I just want to mention this book uh, for those that are listening. It's called Forge Through Fire, A Reconstructive Surgeon's Story of Survival, Faith, and Healing. You go on Amazon. It's a really a nice mm -hmm. write-up in everything they do on Amazon. It was uh, yeah, on yeah. it. it was really great. Uh, I, uh, my wife read it. I'm reading it. The reviews have been great and very excited about and, that. And and people have really been positive. And Dr. McDonough goes into high detail each step of the way of what happened, which he's going to pick up here in a second. But if any of you have questions you want to call in, our number here again is 440-399-3044. So I want you to pick up again, Mark. Then Now you're in the hospital. Yeah. You've been heavily sedated, and they're trying to deal with this extensive burn. Uh, and then I know you from the book your dad now has returned back to Cleveland. He's at the hospital. Right. And you're starting to get some details. But through it all, you're going through all this incredible pain. So maybe we'll pick up there. Well, the nurses informed me that my dad was on his way back from San Francisco and that he was very concerned that he'd be at the bedside in the next, you know, imminently in the next few hours. And I kept trying to ask what happened to mom and Toby. And they just kept saying, your mom's in a different hospital and they're, they're working really hard to take care of her. And, 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 but they didn't specifically say anything about Toby. And I just mm -hmm. knew. And it's it's funny. I, I knew probably with the same certainty that I knew God existed before the near-death experience, Toby's not here. Mm -hmm. And I was 
just didn't want to hear the words, but I knew I had to. And I lay there for a few minutes thinking, ask them, don't say anything. And they can't understand me when I try to ask. And so I've got this tube in my throat and I'm trying to speak around it. And I'm also in so much pain though, I'm begging God, please take me to heaven. I mm. want to end this. I can't live one more second with this pain, regardless of which members of my family survived or didn't. I knew if Jesus and heaven are pain-free, I'm there now, take me. And I begged him to, but of course, one more second would tick by on the clock. And the nurses had the TV on at the bedside as they worked around the room, fixing and adjusting tubes and machines. And they're listening to the TV, and I hear the news come on, and I hear that my brother was killed in a house oh fire. Gosh. On the TV? Yeah, what on a the TV. A news yeah. anchor said it. And, and then I knew, and I started honking on the respirator. If you exhale forcefully on a ventilator, it will, it will trigger an alarm. And I learned that that was the way to get attention. And I would oh constantly try to manipulate the nurses back into the room, and not for anything but if they could one of two things, ease my pain or hold my hand. Uh -huh. I just wanted someone there in the room because I was so afraid. And I didn't know what I was afraid of. The doom that was pending doom was nothing. I, just more pain. And I didn't think I could take one more second of that, but as I said, the seconds kept going. But I just wanted somebody present. And I kept praying to Jesus, please protect my father. And, and us and my brothers and praying for them, but for my mom and and thinking, my gosh, dad must have received the most awful phone call in San Francisco. And mom's still on a ventilator at Fairview Park Hospital, the hospital I was born in. And we made the decision after dad arrived to collectively remove mom from the ventilator just because it was the only thing keeping her organs functioning. And it was a decision between dad, my brothers, and me. Hmm. and certainly the right decision, but um, devastating. And certainly for my poor father, who was the strength of a thousand men and was the greatest patriarch and matriarch through that terrible time mm. that I could ever imagine being. Wow. Um, <clears throat> to the day he died, I respected him for that alone. Um, when did he die? Besides no many great things he did, but he had prostate cancer and a long battle with that. Um, complications that required subsequent surgeries and a reconstruction of his bladder. And um, he had metastatic disease to the brain, lungs, and, <clears throat> and bone um, in 1998 or nine, it started, little problems started mm -hmm. occurring, but then sure. he died in 2002. <clears throat> but in any event, when dad came to the bedside, he looked into my eyes and immediately, I felt the forgiveness and the love and the compassion and the empathy. And he was just looking down with tears in his eyes and bent over and kissed my forehead about the only exposed area of my body. And I said to myself, we'll be okay. We can, we can do this. But I felt so hurt for him. Mm -hmm. Mom's gone. And... Um, in those first hours, I know he struggled, but he stayed there every minute and, and did hold my hand. And I just kept thinking, how am I going to make it through the next hour mm. or day? And little by little, we did. And now, how about the other brothers? 
What well, did you hear about them, and what was their condition? I heard um, that Tim and Dan were able to escape successfully, and that on the ground there were lots of neighbors and everybody trying to find out where the other people were that didn't make it out. And um, they were taken to the Radigans' home. And Radigans are some friends of ours that lived up the street, very close friends that we call our cousins, that kind of childhood friend you mm -hmm. grow up with, and the sure. parents are good friends, and their uncle and aunt. And they took our my brothers right away to their house, and Packy had some soreness in his arm. And it persisted through the night, and someone eventually took him to the emergency room, and he had fractured the bone in his forearm. Oh. And the day before my first surgery, so it would be August 12th, um, my dad was at the bedside and jumped up in his chair suddenly and said, Holy criminy. That was his comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. But um, I forgot to ask Packy about his arm. And he realized that he hadn't said a word to him since arriving back in town. And this poor 10 year old had lost his mom and his best buddy, Toby. And, and he's struggling all alone and suffering through the emotional trauma of this event and yet the physical pain persisting in his forearm won't let him stay calm for a minute and he's got this cast on and dad did ask him and he said I'm great dad yeah. I'm good I'm fine and tough little soldier but uh, the next day I was scheduled to have the first surgery which was called debridement where they tear the dead tissue off the burns and cut the burn tissue away and try to clean up the wounds and minimize the chance of infection they worry, though, because it's, it's a physiological demand on the body to undergo that kind of procedure, not only being under general anesthesia, but the blood loss can be extensive and it can be many complications to burn surgeries. But they felt now, after 10 days, that I was stable enough, or 12 days stable enough to tolerate the procedure. No, my math is getting worse. No. August 3rd to the, now it's the 12th, it's 10. Uh, but they said, good news. We're gonna to try to pull the tube before we take you to the surgery and see if you can breathe on your own, but it'll be in when you come out of surgery, and that got me all excited. Now I wasn't worried about surgery, but surgery didn't scare me too much too, because they said you'll be asleep and you won't feel a thing, and that would have been the first yeah. time in 10 days that I hadn't felt anything. Uh -huh. If they could put me to sleep, that'd be great, because it felt like I'd been awake the whole time. And so the next day we went down for that procedure, and that was the one where the Devastating complications began, but at the start of the day, everything looked great, and Dad was at the bedside, and the tall gentleman that was wheeling me down to the operating room named Roosevelt, a tall, black, African-American gentleman with long, wanky arms, and he reminded me of a marionette with curly hair, and he was just <laughs> swinging his arms and singing some kind of Motown song, and just full of positive energy, and God loves you, and Jesus, and just speaking for Christ, and he was, he was, yeah. he was a spiritual warrior, and here to take me to the operating room, and we talked all the way down, but the ride was, I was trying to listen to him, but feeling all these bumps and grinds of the cart hitting the ground, and the hospital, as always, was under construction, so people were being detoured underground through oh. tunnels and two-by-four contraptions, and barriers holding up walls, and Seemed like we were wheeling for days, but it really is only about a quarter mile, they say, to the operating room. But when we get there, people are surrounding me and getting ready to go into the room, and they're asking questions and picking and poking and putting lines in again. And every movement hurts so badly, especially the x-rays. They would roll me to the side and shove these great big square metal plates under my back and back down onto the plate and 
just for one picture of the chest, and it was torture. But I was looking forward to going to sleep, and as the anesthesiologist was working over the top of my head, I remember him say, now just start counting back from 100, and that was the last thing I remember. But then, suddenly I'm awake, and I'm feeling some pulling and pushing, and I'm uh, thinking, oh, maybe surgery's, oh, no, it's not over. And that pain in my stomach and my arms was them tearing that tissue off. Oh, and I was reminded, you're in surgery, and they're in the middle of surgery. You're feeling this. You're not supposed to feel yeah, right. And again, I'm, God, stop this. Stop, stop. Guys, guys, I'm thinking in my mind. But I can't even blink my eye. I can't twitch a finger. They don't know I'm awake. I'm feeling all oh. of this because I'm also under a paralytic that keeps the body from developing other complications like seizures and muscle spasms. And wow. so my whole body is paralyzed pharmacologically with medication, so I can't move anything. So they don't know it. And I'm thinking again, oh, Jesus, please, please, please take me. Please stop this. I, I, I Oh, please, 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 Jesus. How will this end? How can't They've got to. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I knew I was going to die. And then I start going through that adrenaline-fed panic mental craziness that I can't stand this being awake and I am afraid to die and I'm in the middle of... It was like the worst jumping off place I could be. But then suddenly, in a split second, I'm completely pain-free. I'm floating and I'm oh. just in an easy chair and my arms are at my side and my knees are bent with a, something underneath keeping me relaxed and I feel like I'm sort of the position you would be in a lazy boy recliner taking a nap. But I'm floating above myself and I feel this warm light, this incredible warm, bright light, and I'm floating toward it, and I see this three-dimensional square-shaped tunnel, and it sort of reminded me of a, a, one of those plastic legs on a patio table, those square plastic mm -hmm. legs. It looked like it had boundaries that were white, but it was very bright in the center of it, and I'm going up toward it on a, like a 45-degree angle. But I feel riding with me up this escalator is my mom and my brother and my grandfather who died when I was one. And I don't see their faces or their clothes, but they're so present, it's like the clothes don't matter. It's hard to describe. You think about that. If you're in communication with someone that you know very well and have seen millions of times, but none of that it was just the physical appearance didn't matter. Huh. We were every bit mm -hmm. like you and I are today, John, or yeah. David, yeah. or Jack. Yeah. And it felt that way, but I'm not looking in, in the face. It's hard, it's hard to describe. but Just the awareness. Yes, the awareness, yeah. and, that, and that they're involved in my thought processes, too. And as soon as I could think of a question, wow. boom, the answer was there. And I'd say, of course. <laughs> huh. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, my God. No pun intended, Lord. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you've been telling us. That's, this is how it is. And it has been this way. And that's the way it should have been. And it was just kind of like that. Like, as fast as I could think of stuff. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, of course. And all these awarenesses were just flowing in. And so quickly that I'm euphoric. And now I'm giggling. I'm like, this is the greatest thing. Oh, this could go forever like this? No. And I believe it gets even better. I didn't get to see it all, or feel it all, or know it all, at all. But it was incredible. The movement and the 
feeling of security and the sense of forgiveness and love and compassion, the guilt-free, unconditional, overwhelming, over-enveloping love of a Savior that we always talk and worship and think and live and try to breathe, but now I'm feeling it all. It just hit me like too exciting, yeah. better than any Christmas morning. And I was blessed with lots of lovely Christmases. Yeah. But my goodness, I was just so excited. But then all of a sudden it was like there was a committee meeting, like a board meeting, and it wasn't any one person's decision. We didn't even vote on it. It's just like everybody there understood, but this isn't the time you're going to go on further over the edge or you've got a lot more living to do and your dad needs you. Mm-hmm. That was the overwhelming message. Mm-hmm. Your dad and your brothers need you and this is, and that's okay. And it's, as soon as I knew it and was aware of it, it was also okay. Every, it just like every, every decision was perfect. There was no debate about anything. It's just such a, I, I think of new concepts all the time because it was just so creatively stimulating mentally and it's so hard to bring it back out. But just this, this feeling like there can't be a wrong decision anymore. Those don't exist. And so I'm now aware, though, that I know I'm, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a long struggle. But for whatever reason, we will get through this ordeal. This is yeah. just a medical stumble along the way, a big leap in the, in the plan. And it's part of the plan for some reason. But yeah. now I'm not sure what that is. But I trust uh, it. I trust it 100%. Amazing. Yeah. So that chapter closed. This is a pivotal moment oh, yeah. right here, uh, Dr. Yeah. McDonough. I want to pick this up. And go forward. Uh, I know you're going to go through a, a long series yeah. of hospitalization and treatment, mm-hmm. but I really want to go towards how you took this pain, you took this incredible mm-hmm. uh, episode of suffering in your life that very, very few people, and how that turns you into a healer, and why you want to go in the direction not just of medicine, mm-hmm. but one who would who would actually go into plastic surgery and help the people. But I just want to give some information out real quick. Again, if you want to give a call in, we're here at 440-399-3044. That's 440-399-3044. And uh, if you're having any problem picking this up, any static, uh, you can live stream us, and that would be at www.wnzn.org. That's wnzn.org. And we're going to continue the story and the testimony of Dr. Mark McDonough. Uh, he has just recently finished his book. It's on the market today. You can get it, Forged Through Fire. It's an excellent book. He's, he's a good you're a good writer as well as you know, a great well, plastic you. surgeon. But uh, I highly recommend the book to the listeners today. And we're going to continue with the story and pick it up. Uh, you've gone through this, you know, all of this pain, all of this suffering, the loss of your mom, your loss of your brother, and uh, all the painful surgeries and uh, the skin grafts yeah. and all of this, but you've had this moment, uh, this eternal moment, yeah. uh, where you sense that uh, uh, God is in control. He's 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 with you now, mm-hmm. and you're going to go forward from this. But David, you you had yeah, stuff you want to share? Yeah, you know, uh, Doctor McDonough, I was uh, how how much of your body was covered in burns? Sixty-five. And so, what percentage of people at that level recover? Well, it's that <clears throat> nowadays many. The recovery is good, provided there aren't intervening complications. Yeah. uh, I I hesitate to quote uh, an exact percentage number on... Yeah. um, 
prognosis of a 65% burn injury today, but we still have the same problems we had 20 years ago in burn therapy, which is finding skin to cover large open wounds. And if the patient's skin is rejected, that's the perfect uh, DNA match. Yeah. But a lot of times we can use skins from identical twins. But otherwise, skin is the largest organ of the body, but the one we don't know how to transplant from one individual to another. Oh. And it's a, it's a factor that's associated with the, the morbidity and mortality of burn injury, because if you can't get the burns covered with functioning skin, then you can't regulate the electrolytes right. and the water balance and everything else. So yeah. as long as we can graft and as long as there aren't intervening complications from surgeries and so forth, but the mortality rate is very high on someone 65%. We used okay. to use a simple for formula, which was um, age times the percentage of burn injury and, um, and calculate overall prognosis. But for someone burned that extensively, and a lot of it was full thickness burns requiring skin grafts, mm -hmm. um, the mortality is very high. Okay. And the other thing, you know, when I was thinking about your, uh, your tragedy, I think of Proverbs 3, 5, 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight but listening to you in the hospital you know um, praise god that you had that vision uh and that the holy spirit came to you and obviously that was probably the turning point because to to look at that proverbs 3 and to think about that for a young man i can't imagine how challenging it was for you to be thinking why did this happen to me right. and after you had that vision what happened what was yeah. the change um, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the change mentally. I, before the fire, I had been heading down the wrong path. I, there's no better way to say it. I, I wasn't rejecting continued education or functional structured life, but I was doing a lot of things that weren't making decisions without thinking of consequences and living haphazardly and believing God's there but running my life any way I kind of wanted started experimenting with alcohol and pot, and I'm still only 16. Mm -hmm. So I'd always been interested in fine arts and journalism. So the saving grace in school for me were English classes and creative writing classes, and I loved that. And I loved foreign language, French, and social studies. So I liked those subjects and stayed academically competitive, but mentally and psychologically, I was not highly motivated and positive and living for God in any way. And so this did change my whole direction and that certainty of his presence and being with me gave me a sense of purpose and a sense of... Uh, you had a reason to I had a reason to live. Survived, uh, yeah. And now maybe I have a chance to, of actually finding that courage of my own convictions. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started thinking about medicine and as I'm laying there in the hospital and after many surgeries and a lot of physical therapy, um, my physical therapist was one of the first people that really was a motivator in terms of thinking that I can survive this whole thing and get out of here and live some kind of a normal life again. And I really respected and admired her and their knowledge. They do the same pre-physical therapy academic curriculum as, as we doctors do. So their knowledge of anatomy and of the burn process, the burn injury was, was so extensive and I was so impressed by that. And she would tell me, all the muscle names and their origins and insertions and the movements and I just thought, wow, how do you, that, that's just a whole new language and category of information I've never even considered. Mm -hmm. And it, I found it very interesting. Yeah. And of course, 
all the technological stuff that was happening around me. But yeah. That was how my direction toward a career in medicine changed, yeah. Yeah. So then you, so you get out, I mean, we're, we're bypassing a whole lot of treatments and pain and ongoing. You get out and then you start wanting to go into the, into the healing arts, into, into, into medicine. How did that walk us through that a little bit, if you would? Well, I knew, um, yes, there were, there were many surgeries. And after the near-death experience, I was motivated to really make a difference and use this challenge and this triumph, if I could triumph, for good and mm. for God's purpose. And as I started thinking that way, I started getting better, and things started happening. And Dr. Fredian said, you can have a 24-hour pass to go home for your birthday if you can eat 3,000 calories. Well, we didn't talk about the near-death experience yet, but part of that resulted in my losing a big portion of my stomach. So keeping mm. calories in and food was a difficult challenge at best, or difficult at worst, but almost impossible otherwise. And so... He said, if you can eat 3,000 calories, I'll let you go home for 24 hours. Well, I couldn't eat enough food, but I'd order an extra hamburger, <laughs> extra chocolate milk, extra ice cream. And my friends tended to visit around dinner time, and they were always hungry. Oh my like God. Jack here, they could eat anything in front of them until it's gone. Yeah. And so the, the residents and Dr. Freddie Ann would come around, and one night he said, good job. You know, we're going to let you out Friday for the 24 hours, and... Way to go, and the residents were all behind him going, yeah. right. <laughs> that's nodding the head up and down, sarcastically though. But um, having learned a lot about medicine and the people in medicine, and meeting some whom I really respected, but others who I thought probably should have picked the wrong profession. There were a lot of people I met that I thought, boy, maybe this wasn't the best choice for you, but um, that was just me being a little judgmental. So when I got out, though, I thought, if I want a career in that area, I'm really going to have to crank it down and start studying. And even with discouragement from my biology teacher in high school, uh, I persisted. And I, I went from getting okay grades to straight A's like that. It's just uh -huh. a matter of making the decision and then doing the work. And I started headed in that direction when I was in school. But as in the career of physical and uh, medical rehabilitation and seeing a lot of those patients and different types of injuries, neurological, musculoskeletal, and burn. I did mostly burn, but I got more and more interested in surgeries that got those patients to those points. And so I started thinking more about, wow, I wonder if I handle medical school. And gosh, that's a huge commitment. Even that whole lifestyle, it just, there's no time. So I decided on physical therapy because I wanted to have time to work with patients and spend with patients and doctors are under so much demand all the time by different people and different responsibilities that might be precluded. Maybe that's too much. And after about eight years, I convinced myself and, and that I didn't know if that's what God wanted me to do, but I prayed about it and said, you know, Lord, close the door if it's not the right thing. And he would close the door, but he doesn't leave a window open a crack, so I'd squeeze through. And it was a challenge all the way, but eventually made it. So you would then, after college, then you would eventually go to what, Case Western Reserve Medical School? Yes, sir. And then when did you, from there, get really interested in, in uh, reconstructive surgery, plastic surgery, which was really coming out of your, your pain and your, your previous experience? Well, I normally wouldn't want to give away a significant portion of the story, but this one is really key because it really did change me in a lot of ways in terms of my decision-making process for life. 
God really does want us to consult him on the little things. As little as they are, as little as they may seem, he wants us to say, what do you say, God? I mean, help me. Help me. That's the key. Being humble and letting me, letting myself let go of all expectations and say, God, I'm not in charge. You're the captain of the ship. Fortunately, I was enlightened to the concept and early enough in my career that with my wife, we went to the beach for a weekend of concentrated prayer and thought and discussion. What field should I work toward to do the most I can do for burn patients and that kind of thing? So we were staying on a beach house in Benita Springs and taking a walk on the beach on a cloudy but becoming quite sunny day. So it started getting very hot. And most burn patients can't be out in the sun for too long because it just irritates the skin. But I never had that problem. I was blessed with an ability to tolerate the heat and the rays because maybe there's extra melanin in my skin. Um, my number two son asked me, when he grows up, will he be African-American like that? <laughs> but I've always retained that darker color of skin. But we walked on the beach, and I said, you know, Joan, that, like, did you see that burn patient back there? And there was a boy sitting on the beach with his feet in a hole, but I could see the grafted skin on his arms. And it hit me as I'm saying it, burn patient on the beach. Well, besides me, I didn't know many that did that. And I thought, that's incredible. And so I said, what I'd love to do is be able to fix his hands. You could see his hands were some, like, remember my right hand was clawed before you met me and I had all those surgeries and my left hand. Well, his hands were just like that. And I'd love to be able to fix that kind of an injury from burns. And it was just, plastic surgery is what it's to do. And right there in that moment, I was walking a foot off the sand, like, oh, thank you, God. It just, boom. And we turned right around, went back, and sat down with this boy, and his name was Doug. And how come you're out here? Tell us what happened. Look at my arms. As soon as he saw my arms, he opened right up and said, oh, well, I was, and told me the whole story about carburetor explosion, and I want you to meet my parents. And so we met his parents, and then we came to his house that night for dinner, and it turned out to be a great friendship that I've since lost contact and they moved out of state but um what a day and what a monumental moment i in my life when i said wow god's truly guiding me i've just got to be patient and listen the answer doesn't come immediately sometimes and it's rarely what i expect it to be most of the time it's i got something even better than you ever thought of and and that's that's how it worked out i I remember that part of the in the book and that that just like when you're on the operating table, you had that vision, you know, you, that trans, that moment, that epiphany. So too, I know that moment in the beach was a significant pivotal point in your life to go in, into that direction. You know what comes to me, and I was as I read your story, Mark, was it says this in Second um, Corinthians chapter one verse two: "Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation." that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort, the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Mm. And I was looking at your life as I'm reading your story. Physically, there's there's probably no other pain on this planet mm. than burns. Mm-hmm. Am I right? You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's yeah, probably yeah, no well, other greater yeah. emotional pain. No more emotional pain yeah. than the loss of a mother and and a brother, mm-hmm. and so you you went down to the depths in terms of suffering, the crucible. Yeah. But out of that, you came up to a position 
that you've touched and healed hundreds, thousands, and now your story's going out there. Uh, it's remarkable. It's by God's grace, but it's also by your sensitivity to these moments in your life. And I think the audience, and for David and me, of course, mm -hmm. or Mark, is the is when you said, put God in the little things. Yeah. Give him the little decisions. Yeah. We think of the big mm -hmm. decisions in life. But Lord, help me this day. I'm not real sure how to go in this direction. But that that's a caveat. That's, that's a takeaway as well as the big picture. That, but I love important. this is the scripture yeah. that mm -hmm. comes to my mind yeah. when I read your story, Mark. Yeah. Yes, David. It, you know, we only it, have it, about... Yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah. I want to give you a summation at the end. I also want to give a shout out to his brother, Dan, who may be listening this yeah. morning. I don't know that he's recovering from surgery. We offered up a lot of prayers for Dan McDonough yesterday. Yeah, so she's the best, and Dan. you were down there. Oh, That's Lord. one of the reasons yeah. you're up from Florida. Hey, God is so good all the time. And Dan's surgery went beautifully. He's had lung cancer, left upper lobe lesion that um, he had the foresight to think, I need a chest x-ray. And then he said, oh, I want to get this special pulmonary scan and on his own, initiated the workup that found this cancer. And soon enough, we pray that he won't require chemo or radiation. The surgeons felt she got all the margins clear yesterday. The frozen showed clear margins. And we were just so blessed and pleased. That's, That's wonderful. amazing. The Lord's in there. David, you had a question. And, and so, you know, I, I think, Mark, uh, one of the things that you said that really hit home is the fact that you give God, you know, you talk to him about all your decisions. And I think one of the things, you know, that I've experienced in my life, when you have extreme trauma or you have things that occur in your life that put you in a hole, the, the best thing to do is just to hand it over to God. And there are times where I've actually pictured myself giving him the trauma or giving him, uh, you know, the pain. And so uh, I, I think, you know, in your own situation, I mean, is, is that how you do it? I mean... How do you talk to the audience about the skill in doing that? Because it is an art form, you know, to be able to control your thoughts, to control every minute yeah. that we're taught in the Bible. Absolutely, and and my wife helps me with that. She's yeah. been great, and I've had some struggles lately because I'm going through some new medical issues, and and I've had some times too. You'll see from the book, our sons are in the pop band before you exit, uh -huh. and they suffered the loss of a dear friend, Christina Grimmie, who opened for them in their hometown show back in 2016. And a crazy fan shot Christina and killed her. Oh, gosh. And the boys were devastated. We all were. And at that time, like other times in my life, too, I've been back to that same emotional, hopeless, powerless state that you were talking about, John. And all there is to do is persevere and pray. And it, the big things, like that night, it was easier to say, God, you, God, no, I can't handle this. Please take this. That's easy. The hard things are the little ones like you were saying, John. It's funny. Lately, I find I'm, something goes just right, and I go, oh, God, look at that. And I forgot to ask you for help. Mm. Oh, man. Wow. If I could just remember that first, because you see all these little things, and I think, boom, there's another one. Uh -huh. I didn't even counsel him on that, and it worked out perfectly in my favor. And I started seeing things like yeah, that. So in the amazing. big ones, it was, it was easier. But that night, I I would have done anything to take that burden and that pain from my sons. And you know, it's those times I feel like the only thing. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine not having my father on the team yeah. in the in the battle. Yeah. How could we survive? Yeah. And, um, so now, Mark, going forward, uh, you know, you got the book. You still have your practice. Uh, what do you see, you know, the, the next chapter of your life? I know this is, I know your story is going to touch a lot of people. And, and to our listeners today, this is going to be archived. 
uh, you'll be able to access uh, the tape of this mm -hmm. session today. And we hope to have, God willing, Mark up in the uh, not too distant future, maybe in the spring or something, sure. when you come back up to speak to the men's group and maybe some church groups. Mm -hmm. Because I think... I think your story has to be getting out there. You know, it's your story. Yeah. It's your testimony. Yeah. Somebody has well said, no testing, no testimony. Yeah. Well, I don't know of a more, more severe test mm -hmm. than what you've gone through. And your testimony mm -hmm. touches a lot of lives. And I like how you bring Thank it you. down to the point of God, of the details, God in the little things, include God in your life. And I think for yeah, our listeners say, out there, they, who knows what yeah. somebody might be going through or we might be going mm -hmm. through before we close in about eight minutes here, Mark, I want to have you give a closing remark and maybe pray. Uh, but, again, if anybody wants to uh, call in, 440-399-3044. Mark, do you have a website or any way that people sure. might want to contact it's Dr. you? DrMarkMcDee.com or PhoenixDoc.net. Phoenix, P-H-O-E-N-I-X-D-O-C, one word, dot net. And Dr. Mark McDee, D-R-M-A-R-K-M-C-D at Dr. Mark McD at Dr. Mark McD dot com. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, trying to do an email. <laughs> Can you explain your logo? I think that's really powerful. I read that in the book. The, well, the logo in my plastic reconstructive surgery practice has always been a rose, and in the petals of the rose, abstractly, you can see outlined lightly the image of a phoenix. And the phoenix was the bird in the Garden mm -hmm. of Paradise yeah. that flew from the first rose bush was struck by the cherub with its flaming sword and ignited into flames, and then its ashes fell back to the rose bush where they were restored, and the bird's plumage was more colorful and his song was more brilliant. And I thought, that's going to reconstruct surgery cool. does that. They make patients that's more great. beautiful, more yeah. brilliant in, on mm -hmm. the elective side of it, but on the reconstructive side, we're doing the same thing, but we do it with body, mind, and spirit because the whole body depends on all three to recover. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, like that, that symbolism. Yeah. How you, and and how you of those that. three, there's also the three in the divinity. So I guess it's a subclass yeah. of things that we're dependent on. But Well, again, uh, Mark Ballard, thank you for hosting the show today. I don't know if you have any comment or question. It's good to be here. Good to be here. Good, good to, to have be. you guys back. That yeah. is an amazing story, Doc. And, yeah. uh, and we all have one. I'd love to make that point. That, as Dr. Stephen Green said, pain is not the end of the story. And I say it in the book that only God knows the whole story. Mm. Only God sees the whole story and knows the end of the story. Mm. So if I keep trusting that he does, and he's the only one who needs to, I'm good. Amen. You're good to go. Amen. Absolutely. So, you know, and yeah. David, I don't know if you have any closing remarks. We've got a couple minutes left. No. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank I wish you. you the best and keep... Uh, Keep your story going. A lot of people could benefit from it. Yeah, Absolutely. Mark. Thank you, David. Thank Dr. So Mark McDonough. Again, that's Forged Through the Fire. There's a book, uh, Reconstructive Surgeon's Story of Survival, Faith, and Healing. It's the most amazing story. He's a Cleveland guy. Uh, so, you know, you're one of our own, so to speak. <laughs> and, and the story is amazing. Yeah. Because, again, really I good. always go to that, that 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how you were able to take that most... That you know, in this world, you will have tribulation, yes. Jesus says, oh, yeah. but be of good cheer. But how do you get to that mm -hmm. point coming through this kind of an experience to the point where you are today, uh, Dr. McDonough, where you are ministering in a sense yeah. out of your pain? That that famous phrase of the book, The Wounded Healer, how did that take you? And and you're in the greatest, you're, you're, you're following the footsteps of the great physician, you know, yeah. and I love that. You know, Even that in the field of addiction, I mean, it's it's challenging, we can get to our bottoms easily. But when we receive that gift of desperation 
and we know he's the man. Mm -hmm. He's yeah. the one, not the man, the everything. Yeah. yeah. So, so maybe you can close us in a, in a word of prayer. I'd just like to thank you again, taking time. You drove out here. You came up from Florida yeah. to be with your brother <laughs> Dave, sure. going through the surgery, and I know you're going to be leaving next week. Uh, people can contact us, and we can refer if they didn't get all the contact information. But maybe you can just close. Maybe there's somebody out there listening, going through a very difficult, painful situation at this time. Sure, sure. And if you just pray in closing. Father God, please, uh, thank you so much for this incredible opportunity. I'm so humbled, blessed, and honored to have friends in my life and guides in my life like John and David. And they've been so instrumental in my life and I'm so grateful for you to have brought them to me. And thank you for this incredible tool, the tool of perseverance that you have given me through the years, through many challenges and trials and tribulations. But I know, Father, that if I trust in you with your strength, we can do anything. I can do anything. And thank you for bringing my brother through this surgery and bringing these people into my lives. And if there are people out there suffering from life-changing events like trauma, the trauma of burn injury, or any struggle, whether it's emotional or physical, if they can just know that you are there, you are their guide, you are their strength, their courage, their relief from pain, the thing that I begged you for so much and you so graciously gave relief from the struggles of, of this life, because you never told us it was going to be easy, and it is a struggle, but I believe, Father, that you put those struggles in our lives so that we can be sculpted to be more like you. And as a hopeless sinner, I'll know I'll never come close, but I'm going to keep trying. And I know that if I keep trusting in you, you'll bring those lights like these guys here, these special things in my life that motivate me to keep trumpeting your cause. I'm just so grateful, Father, for all the wonderful gifts you brought into my life. You changed my life completely. From heading one direction and put it in another that has just brought me so many blessings more than i could ever deserve and please be with all those who are listening and in fear or struggling or in pain now in your name we pray amen, amen. amen. thank you Thanks, again Mark. god bless